We're in this series called Multiply, looking at how the church is called to what we call kingdom reproduction. We've already talked about how we do that, how we're called to do that through disciple making and through personal evangelism. The next two Sundays, we'll see how God uniquely uses those sent as missionaries and how churches are called to reproduce churches. We call that church planting. This morning, our focus is in-house, or in fact, in family. How is spiritual multiplication relevant to uh, parenting, child-rearing, family life? Not only relevant to, but at the heart of parenting as Christians. We're going to look at a few verses from the book of Proverbs to guide us and to highlight two main ideas this morning related to family disciple-making. And like last Sunday, I'm aiming at more of a pastoral conversation than a typical sermon where we're rooted in one text and trying to unpack things in detail. Let me pray. God, we are called a family, and we're united together far more closely than blood could ever unite family members. We're united by the blood of Jesus. We've been brought together under uh, the family of God. And so, Lord, uh, whether we're parents or whether that stretch of life has passed us or whether we long to be parents, show us, Lord, that there is a calling that you give to us to make disciples And this morning, to focus on making disciples of the next generation, our children. Speak, O Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. The first category we'll talk about is starting and training. And uh, those ideas come straight from Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not Turn from it. You may uh, be familiar with that verse more along the lines of train up a child in the way he should go. It's just a different translation. The same Hebrew word behind start off or train up is used in 1 Kings chapter 8 to refer to the dedication of the temple. And again in Ezra chapter 6 later on when the temple is rebuilt and it's rededicated. And it's a word that all of you are familiar with. The noun form is Hanukkah as in the Jewish festival of dedication or festival of lights, celebrating the rededication of the temple in 146 BC in miraculous uh, fashion. And um, the, the temple dedications, especially 1 Kings 8 and Ezra 6, were contexts of uh, a nationwide worship service. This was the focal point of all of God's people, and it was accompanied with an extraordinary amount of animal sacrifices, which also meant a blowout feast because there was a lot of meat to be eaten. But the animal sacrifices and the gathering of God's people sent this message in the dedication of the temple. This building belongs to you, O Lord. You who are worthy of our lives and our most costly possessions these livestock, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of animals sacrificed to reflect God's worthiness. 
So what's the connection to hanaking our children here? Start off, train up. Proverbs 22, 6. We could say the Lord's saying through Solomon's wisdom in writing the book of Proverbs, your children belong to me. They're mine. All of your parenting efforts should have a Godward focus. Just like this building wasn't just a building. It was God's dwelling place. It was where he would meet with his people. Your children belong to me and all of your parenting should have a Godward focus. Proverbs is what we call a collection of biblical wisdom. It is uh, not an instruction manual. We don't go to it to sort of um, figure out like a Ouija board, you know, which way should I go in life? Which fork in the road should I take? Proverbs describes with real life examples what generally happens when a given path is taken. And it will repeatedly say things like this, the way of wisdom leads to life and the way of folly leads to destruction and death. Uh, sometimes it's up to you to decide with this, the wisdom of the Spirit in you what is folly and what is wisdom. Uh, most often it's very obvious. It's clear as day. The way of wisdom leads to life. The way of folly leads to death. So what's the principle we could draw out here in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6? We could say this. Parenting with a Godward orientation gives your kids the best chance at long-term godliness. Real thriving for life, parenting with a Godward orientation. Godward parenting is easier at first. You know, new parents putting Bible verses in frames next to the crib and praising God for this miracle that God's given to them. The sacrament of baptism, when we baptize an infant, it prompts parents to consider their spiritual responsibilities. It fits that phase of life God has given me charge, stewardship over a life, over a soul. How do I handle that? These are good pressures. My, my baptismal prayer when I'm holding a child is always focused on a desire that the child would come to profess faith in Jesus. That not only those words would flow uh, from their mouth, but that it would originate in their heart. It would... It would demonstrate real transformation. My, my prayer is that they would be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and be used mightily by God throughout their lives. Nothing about worldly success. And no parent has ever been disappointed in that focus of prayer, that Godward orientation. Godward parenting is easier at first. Story time naturally includes reading a children's Bible, teaching them about the history of God's salvation plan. But then you blink and that focus has faded. It doesn't go away, but it's faded. It's not present as much, powerfully vivid. It's not daily. What happened? The main question I'd ask this morning is this. Do the rhythms and patterns of your life, parents, work toward or work against the goal of a life of faithful worship and obedience? Do the rhythms and patterns of your life work towards or work against that great desire of Christian parents to see their children raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Uh, this morning, I'm going to point to a, a bunch of real-life contexts because 
spiritual multiplication related to the next generation is that important and it's at risk. When I get specific, please hear me urging thoughtful, prayerful consideration of that context in life instead of concluding and talking after the service. Peter said, we need to do this. My, my, my goal is not to give you the right answer. My, my hope, my prayer is that these specific contexts in life prompt you to prayerfully, carefully, thoughtfully make those decisions with more and more of a Godward orientation as parents. And by the way, uh, l- let me say this. All of this is still, I believe, directly relevant to those of you who aren't parents or to those of you whose active parenting stretch is behind you. You know, parenting never ends, but there's, there's sort of an active stretch, zero through 18 in particular, where it's right in front of you. Uh, and then it begins to change as uh, you relate to adult children. Why do I say it's relevant, even if you're not a parent? Because remember, we're talking about spiritual multi- multiplication, and the heart of it is the Great Commission, and the heart of the Great Commission is Jesus saying, make disciples. That applies to all of us. We don't pick and choose uh, who God calls us to make disciples of, who to reach. And uh, wherever you are uh, on the age spectrum, the stage of life spectrum, God is calling you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, to make disciples and to seize opportunities. And it may be that even if you're not a parent, he calls you to enter into a child or a teen's life to point them to Jesus. Parents have the primary responsibility to shepherd our children, to make disciples of our families, but we need a whole lot of help, and that involves us, the whole congregation. What are the rhythms and patterns of your life? What are the rhythms and patterns of your life? Is there a persistent Godward focus? When you have a baby, there's a decision about childcare. Too often, the answer to that question is assumed. I'm not saying that two income households are wrong. But a Proverbs 22 verse 6 Godward focus dedication means that there should be a careful, thoughtful decision in light of growth in Christ. Yes, even at that tender young age. The questions that a parent should be thinking and asking aloud and discussing with others for collective wisdom. How is emotional and relational security built, which has a direct connection to spiritual security and a sense of identity? What voices and examples are shaping my baby's heart? It's not just about diapers and feedings. In the toddler years, small choices lead to bigger ones pretty quickly. You sign up your three-year-old for enrichment programs like dance class and music class and gym time. Somehow you blink, and Toddlekin's class once a week at the local community center has morphed into youth sports and instrument lessons and Kumon and SAT prep and an entire summer programmed with more class marketed as camp because you love your children and you wouldn't want to hold back any opportunities for them to advance. Nothing wrong with any of that. Not poo-pooing, signing up for activities, 
or summer camp, but at every turn, are you assessing whether it fosters this Proverbs 22, verse 6, Godward orientation, or do you instinctively choose educational resume over spiritual formation? What about school? Maybe the decision is also a default assumption of the local school. Do you consider how your child's heart and mind will be shaped, likely here in North Jersey, by the majority of teachers, administrators, and coaches who do not support a biblical worldview, many of whom will work and speak actively against a biblical worldview? When it comes to faith and values, there, there is no neutral ground in whatever sphere of, of life you're talking about. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, whoever is not with me is against me. There's no Switzerland when it comes to faith formation in your child's heart. Some of you know our kids have mostly attended Christian schools growing up. I am not saying that's the only good option. For us, it has been a wonderful option. What I am saying is that especially if you go to public school, but also if you choose Christian or homeschooling, that active decision, and it should be an active, thoughtful one, needs to be accompanied by active strategizing and prioritizing time to shepherd your child armed with biblical truth. And I'll tell you this, uh, as, as, Christian, uh, as parents who have sent our kids to Christian school, sometimes that, that I, I feel like that has been the lazy way out. I'm not saying it's a bad decision, but sometimes it's tempting to think, you know, they, they are shaped in Christ all day long. I don't have to do as much when they get home. And that, that's a, a conviction of my heart as a, as a Christian parent. No decision uh, can, can be left in a, in a passive context, to just assume that our children are going to turn out. Here's an important litmus test in my mind. I think I shared this in the parenting uh, panel that uh, Karen hosted uh, a few weeks ago. Do you typically sit down for dinner as a family? Uh, or does it only happen once or twice a week, if at all? sitting down as a family for dinner. We're not talking about um, in-depth Bible study involving all kinds of research and reading books and um, theological study. We're talking about eating dinner together. Does that happen in your family? If it does not happen often, chances are there's very little opportunity to sit and talk and listen to your child and assess their heart, hear what's going on in life, have that space to just be with. There's no space left for what I call the foundation of family disciple making, which is a distinct time dedicated to family worship. Opening the Bible together, reading, discussing, praying, singing praise as a family unit. If you don't eat dinner together, or hardly at all, chances are that correlates with a, a challenge in keeping Sabbath. This pattern that God has established that hasn't changed in the New Testament of one day out of seven. A, a gift of grace, formerly to slaves, to say, you don't have to work 
one day out of seven. You get to worship your God and focus on what is most important. But if there are so many activities to juggle that you can't eat dinner together, that resting and worshiping one day out of seven loses out. A a match, a practice, a lesson means you don't make it to church. Parents, I don't mean to bring down a hammer, but to plead with you because it is that important and the next generation is at risk. That is an active choice on your part to prioritize something above worshiping the king. And when you allow that decision to happen, you have shaped actively your child's heart by modeling something far more powerful than any words could communicate and any words could overcome. Proverbs 29, verse 15, I'm using the ESV to, focus, uh, to emphasize one phrase, it says this, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Spiritually passive parenting Leaving a child to himself will lead to straying from God. That's not a formula. That's just like biblical wisdom in Proverbs. A path chosen generally leads to this conclusion. Why? Because the message of the world is so alluring and tempting and powerful and all around us. So easily acceptable. That leads right into our second um, phrase, Sin at root. Back to Proverbs 22, verse 15, it says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. Do me a favor, don't focus on the rod of discipline just yet. I will open that can of worms in a few minutes. Okay, first part first. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. What is a Christian parent's highest goal? Christian parents are are not very likely, if at all, not very likely to say to other people, let alone spiritual leadership, my greatest dream is for my child to get into a top school in order to have a lucrative career to make a ton of money. That's my highest goal as a Christian parent. I've not heard that. Christian parents would typically say, I want my child to love God, to, to trust in Christ, to walk with him faithfully to taste and see the goodness of the Lord. But that goes back to that question, what, what patterns and rhythms of your heart are present in family life? Because of many families, I'd have to say the patterns and rhythms of life sure seem to aim at resume building, to aim at worldly dreams at the expense of spiritual formation. Leaving a child to himself will lead to spiritual drifting. Why? Because the core reality of all humanity is this. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. In youth ministry the other week, David asked the kids uh, questions along these lines. Not verbatim, but I got the gists from the report on the drive home. Um, not the report, just the sharing of what, what happened. I don't <laughs> What did David do? No. (laughs) He asked questions like these. I get myself into trouble easily. Did your parents, kids, did your parents ever have to teach you to lie? No. 
Did they ever have to teach you to uh, get angry or to be envious of other people or jealous, to be lazy? Did your parents ever teach you to be lazy? Uh, they didn't have to. Why? How did you learn those behaviors? Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Sin is inherited, just like genetic traits. I picked it up. Nobody had to teach me. And in contrast, parents do have to teach you how to be polite, how to respect others, the importance of responsibility, um, and keeping your word, right? Those are things that parents do actively need to teach. When your adorable three-month-old is cooing and cuddling and there's no more perfect picture in your life, yes, praise God for the miracle that you are holding. But also, plead for gospel grace to be poured out on this little sinner because that's what he or she is in need of salvation, in need of the mercy and compassion of the Creator that she might one day speak with her lips as an overflow of her heart that she trusts in Jesus. Pray that He would always be standing upon biblical truth as the foundation of His life, that He might be able to detect and dismiss the lies of the evil one. Marvel at every little fingernail and perfection, but plead earnestly for the sinner that he or she would receive mercy by the judge of all the earth. And yes, Proverbs, which lays out the path of life, the way of wisdom, considers the rod of discipline back to 2215 to be necessary. Here's what I say about this. An entire generation, even inside the church, has accepted the world's so-called wisdom that physical discipline is always harmful. Either every single generation previous to ours was filled with monsters and evil parents and enlightenment has finally come to this generation. We've seen the light. Evolution has brought about this um, sudden progress and awareness. Or choices today to throw out the baby with the bathwater mean that some of God's wisdom has been lost. Please hear me clearly. Yes, it is easy to sinfully angrily discipline your child. I have done it myself and I have been grieved. That is never okay. But eliminating the, rod of wis- uh, eliminating the rod of wisdom and ignoring these precepts of Scripture that are pretty clear, hap- that happens when we develop a shallow sense of the doctrine of sin when it comes to ourselves as adults and children in the next generation. Our children's greatest need is not entertainment. It is not academic opportunity. It is not socialization. It is being saved from the destructive, deadly reality of sin that is at work in them, just as it is at work in us. They need to be saved by faith in Jesus. That's their greatest need. 
you misunderstand grace when you think that folly in the heart of a child should never be addressed with consequence. And that's the heart of discipline, training, sometimes with consequences. It shouldn't be all about, it shouldn't be focused on, it shouldn't always flow from quote-unquote spankings. Discipline, training, disciple-making, spiritual multiplication in the home is about shaping the heart of a child with intentionality, which includes consistently firm authority. Parents, does your word bring about obedience? Does your word evoke a recognition that an authority figure has spoken and there should be a response? Or do you find yourself negotiating, pleading, bribing to get the result that you want. You have lost some of your God-given authority. And if your little one disrespects your authority, how will they respond to the authoritative word of an unseen God? That's where emotional, relational security has a direct connection to spiritual security. That's where their relationship to parents in particular and then other authority figures has every direct relation to uh, a young one's and especially a teen's relation to divine authority, unseen. Lack of discipline is far more an issue for the parent than it is for the child. Part of the reason is lack of discipline is easier, at least in the short term. We'd rather not spend that energy Spend those words, see that disappointment. Because discipline always involves, and I'm not talking about spanking, I'm talking about shaping the heart of a child, recognizing they need to be led with intentionality and shaped. Influencing your child, shaping them, requires the constructive, active, intentional, sacrificial, creative, initiating activity of the parent at all times. This wisdom book's first chapters, if you turn to Proverbs 1 and just scanned, you'd find phrases all over the place like these, listen, my son, to your father's Instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. That assumes there's instruction and teaching all the time, right? A dialogue, being with, not being distracted. Jumping down to uh, chapter three, my son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Who taught love and faithfulness? The parent. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Memorize Scripture, these Scripture-based principles. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. And not up there, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways submit to Him and He will make your paths straight. That takes time and intentionality and sacrifice to 
to provide that instruction. Short-term laziness or wanting to appease your child always brings the long-term consequence of spiritual drift. Parents, if you just bring your kids to church and send them to Sunday school and then encourage them to go to youth group and you assume they'll turn out the way you did, that's not training up your child, starting them off the way they should go. That's leaving them to fend for themselves, to float down the stream of the world on a raft, hoping that they will end up at the destination of mature, godly believer in Jesus Christ. That is folly bound up in the heart of a parent. That's leaving a child to himself, especially in this internet age where at every turn and with just a click, every alluring temptation and sinful deception of the devil himself will grab hold of your child's heart unless you're actively shepherding, spiritually multiplying by making disciples in your home. Here's how I exhort parents to think and to act when we go over um, the baptismal sacrament ahead of time. And they're faced with this question of spiritual responsibilities, right? Three-month-old baby, still learning how to handle a human being, and now there's the spiritual dimension, and parents are listening. Here's how I exhort them. Do everything you can in your discipling, teaching, modeling, shaping, as if your child's faith depended on you, while trusting that through your pleading and praying before the king, that God is the one who needs to stir faith in your child, fill them with your spirit, make them into the likeness of the Savior. Human responsibility and divine sovereignty, both at the same time, both necessary, passivity and leaving it to um, just assume that it'll happen. The, the book of Proverbs, the, the way of wisdom says that this doesn't happen. That's the way of folly. And if you don't feel equipped, there are ACE classes that not that many parents come to. There, there are pastors and elders who would love to hear, I don't know how to shepherd my child spiritually. Would you help me? There's David Noel, our, our youth director, who, who's offered to do that with parents who have declined because they're too busy. Can't make it because we have this obligation. Let me close with this thought. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. This is where the Shema comes from. Hear, O Israel. Then in verse 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Always and everywhere. The Godward orientation to parenting, Proverbs 22, 6, never ends. This is a message to all the community of the people of God. And one of the most important things for the adults is to pass it down. Teach it. When you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up all throughout the day, in every context. Down in chapter 6, verse 20, there's this instruction. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? And that should sound familiar to parents. 
you know, why do I need to go to bed early? Why do I need to do my chores? Why do I need to help out? I got things to do. Why do I need these restrictions on my freedom to be me? Whatever form that takes. If you're a parent, you've heard that. And the next five verses in chapter 6, 21 through 25, give the answer, and it's a grace story. I encourage you to read it later. It's the Old Testament grace story, and we have more glory. We have more of the generosity of God to add to this grace story. The answer to why all these laws, why all these expectations, why all the shaping influence is this grace story. Son, daughter, we used to be slaves to sin. We were dead in our transgressions, Ephesians chapter 2. But God made us alive with Christ. But God had mercy and compassion on us in our lostness, in our deadness, to give his very own son. He has exhibited highest grace and mercy and compassion. And so his commandments, his expectations reveal that heart of love to guide us into deepest satisfaction and life that will never end. That's why I love you too much to allow you to do that. I love you too much to stray. I love you too much to be lazy and passive in allowing you to be left to yourself, to be exposed to whatever you choose to expose you to. How does spiritual multiplication happen at home? Parents, we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to our children that they might inherit the richest of treasure. Let me pray. Lord God, would we love our children enough to desire to be tunnel visioned, to be single minded in longing for their godliness and longing for their repentance from sin and their embrace by faith of all that Jesus offers and all that Jesus is. Open our eyes through the Holy Spirit that we might see the deceptions of the world and of the devil making false promises that will never be kept. Lord, let the folly bound up in the heart of us parents be put to death. That we might choose what is better, that we might see love vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood, the prince of life as our ransom, who shed for us his precious blood, and speak that word to our children as the most important thing we could ever do. We praise you, Jesus. Be our treasure. Amen.